Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Monday. Welcome to the House of All Marine Radio. Thanks for joining me in the all new, improved, digitized studio number one here on the campus of All Marine Radio, which might be my house. Although I cannot divulge that at this time. So, yeah, good morning to you. Hope you had a good weekend. I spent the weekend here working on this thing. Yeah, even made more substantial Yeah, even made more substantial How do I say it? More substantial what? Yeah, I made more substantial improvements to the studio. I actually went out and bought a piece of gear that was uh, that was more formidable than the one I had. It was a larger version of it. So I was pretty geeked about that. And, uh, yeah. And then I had to make it all work, right? Which is a completely separate issue, which took me most of the weekend. I spent... About eight hours of my life confounded by something I didn't understand. Yeah, it took me eight hours to locate a extension cable that I put between my cell phone and um, if you're at all familiar with cell phone technology. So if... Um, so there's a, if you took like a, uh, a one eighth inch jack, the smaller jack, and if you looked at it, you'll see three bands on the thing that goes into your cell phone. That's how your cell phone knows, right? 
or that's how the computer and everything wires together that, that it's a phone, right? So anyway, I have this this adapter that takes audio from a phone and splits it into two signals, incoming, outgoing, and then you can route it into your uh, your uh, your mixer, however you're doing audio, right? Yeah. So I'm doing that, and um, and I decide where I'm going to locate this underneath my desk. It'd be better suited over here. So I, I take this extension cord, but it's a stereo extension cord. It isn't the extension cord for a phone. And I don't know. I just wasn't thinking. And so I'm troubleshooting this thing, and I think it's my the new unit. I'm looking at all the settings. I'm like, no, I know that's right. So anyway, but I think all the bugs are worked out. We shall see today. Um, <clears throat> I was going to. I, I did an interview with Grant Newsham last night, and I was going to play that today. Uh, but obviously, the death of Colin Powell uh, certainly dominating the news. And so um, uh, I wanted to look at the life of Colin Powell. I'll play some audio uh, cuts for you from uh, from different people that knew him. And um, I was a big fan of Colin Powell. Um, and I remain one to this day, in spite of the fact that I believe that he made a horrible mistake uh, when he pointed the nation and essentially green-lighted the effort to uh, to go to war in Iraq. And so I think, um, obviously, that's a mistake that uh, he made, and, uh, you know, you can hear people talk about that. So, uh, but, you know, I... In my life, um, you know, have experienced what it means to be a flawed human being. And um, so I have great affinity for people that live in the public arena and are flawed human beings. Um, and um, the... Um, and so he was that, right? And and I'll, I'll kind of go through his biography a little bit, but you know he um, he was in Vietnam twice. The second time he's there is 1968 when, and he's part of the I believe it is the brigade staff or the he's part of I think the division staff. Um, he's part of the division staff. Of the Americal Division. Well, the Americal Division is um, owns William Calley and the Me Lie event, and Colin Powell is is a staff officer, I think, in the in the in the G three, which would be the operations section, and he's assigned to take a look at it, and he um, essentially validates the division's perspective that there was no there there so very early and somehow i mean and he survives that somehow or other um and um so i mean this concept of being a flawed person is i think with his deep humility and his personality he comes from very you know basic roots born in new york city 
you know, raised in the Bronx, you know, went to uh, City College of New York, you know, so I mean, he was, was a C student, obviously wasn't applying himself too much, which I have great affinity for. And, uh, and then, you know, discovers ROTC in college and says, I'm actually good at this and, and begins a career in the United States Army that takes him to Vietnam. And then it would take him through um, a period in uh, post-Vietnam American military life where the military is not seen as a very good option. And then we attempt the whole Desert One event, the rescue of American hostages in, uh, in Tehran, and it blows up in the desert of Iran. And so, you know, like, are we incompetent? Can we not even do the things we're trying to actually try to do? We can't even do that. So, um, yeah, a problem. And so um, we go from there. uh, Again, we're talking about the world post-Vietnam, where we are not, I mean, the American military is not, I don't think, looked up to in any way, shape, or form. And then we go through uh, Panama, and so there's there's a whole series of things that begin to happen. And he's, you know, he's uh, rising through the United States Army during this period of time. So, so Colin Powell, an interesting guy, right? And becomes the, uh, becomes the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he with General Schwarzkopf, you know, lead Desert Storm, Desert Shield, you know, and then... Um, and then again, he comes back. And, and I, I think when you saw Colin Powell, you, he seemed like one of the adults in the room. And I, I say this, you know, on a regular basis that um, when you go sit in meetings, one of the things you look for is who are the adults in here, right? <laughs> who are the adults? And um, he always came across. Uh, as an adult. And so um, I think when he stood in front of the American people and uh, and he told them what he thought, I think the American people took, you know, great counsel in that. While the other guys up there standing next to him might have been, what's, what's the definition of a charlatan? Hold on. A person who pretends to, to special knowledge or skill that he or she does not possess. A quack, a fraud. Yeah, Don Rumsfeld comes to mind. So you see Colin Powell standing next to Don Rumsfeld, and he gives the whole thing, right? He gives the whole thing, he dresses the whole thing up. He dresses the whole thing up. At least in my opinion. Not everybody would agree with me. But he came he, to me. He always came across as this very, very um, grounded leader with a sense of humor, right, and a a grasp of the wider set of facts, and uh, that takes him to you know a very, very faithful decision in his life, and that is supporting the war in Iraq, uh, a decision that still impacts the world today, and so uh, Colin Powell passes of evidently. Uh, in the last few hours of complications from COVID-19. So again, uh, 
an incredible life, to say the least. Um, you know, his parents were immigrants from Jamaica, and uh, and he rises to become, you know, the, not only the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, he becomes, you know, the sec Secretary of State. Um, so a, a pretty amazing uh, life. And, and again, what what appeals to me about him is that he's he doesn't come without his flaws. He doesn't come without his flaws. And so um, the United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. So what we'll do today is we'll, uh, we'll talk about General Powell and his life. And you'll hear some audio from that. And then um, tomorrow you'll hear Grant Newsham. And let me tell you, the interview with Grant is awesome. I mean, I like it. We First of all, I ask him about what it now to be a celebrity. Right? What it is to be a celebrity. And so um, I've got about, hold on, I've got about, let me get it to a couple text messages. Do you like technology? It would seem that that would be a good thing for you to like in your business. Um, you know what? Since uh, since computers first came out, I've always loved <laughs> messing with computers. I would stay up all night to solve something. Yeah, it's one of my worst qualities. And this is no this is no different. Um, this whole this whole thing starts with my extended time on on being gone, and I have a digital mixer that I take with me that's smaller. And I bought it because I wanted something small because when I, you know, you, you take a, even a, a fairly, a mixer that you could take on the road. And um, because, so it doesn't take up weight in your luggage and, and so you can't take less. Anyway, um, I heard the difference in the audio. My ear heard the difference. And um, I thought, Okay, I need to set this up where I do my program all the time because it sounds so good. And then what that led to, th that unit only has four inputs that I can control with my hands, right? As I'm talking, for instance, you might, if you're playing music like this, right? As the music comes on, it would be at this level. And then as you begin to talk over it, right? you pot it down and you're able to talk over it right so stuff like that so you have to be able to mani mani manipulate this stuff and it only had four inputs that you could control and I thought and I have seven inputs and I thought you know I gotta do something about that and this is how it turned out it turned out in a fortuitous way so I see this unit that I want. It's 550 bucks. I'm like, ah, I don't know that I want to spend 550 bucks. I know I want to, but should I? You know, is the, is the juice worth the squeeze? And so then as I was as I was using the other mixer, the other digital mixer, the smaller one, you know, I I unplugged my analog mixer and I put it on a shelf next to my portable mixer. I thought, well, those are just going to sit here and collect dust. And I was looking on late Saturday night no, late Friday night, and I'm clicking around, and I'm thinking, hey, where I buy my stuff at a place called the Guitar Center that sells a lot of great audio equipment. Anyway, um, I um, I remember they sell you stuff. 
So I take both mixers back and some cables that I bought here recently that I don't need. And that $550 mixer cost me, so about 600 out the door, cost me about 330 bucks after they gave me my trade-in stuff. Huh? Yeah, I was geeked. <laughs> I was geeked. And then I came home and set the whole thing up. And that stupid-ass cable kept me from crushing it. Delayed my eu euphoria for eight hours. But anyway, um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, now everything hopefully is good. But, um, yeah, but the interview with Grant is, uh, is, is really good. Again, like I said, I asked him about his newfound celebrity, right? Some guy from you, uh, from Stars and Stripes interviewed him. And then they put this headline on it that said, you know, former Marine Colonel says United States should threaten China with nuclear war. And Grant said, although that may be the bottom line, that's not exactly how I phrase that stuff. And I said, well, Grant, you know, when you mess around, right, in the barnyard, you get what you get. And he started laughing. He said, yes. So I'll play that tomorrow. And trust me, you'll enjoy it. It's good. It's very good. He's very good, as always. Um, here's another one. Isn't it always one stupid thing with computers or audio stuff? Yeah, yeah, always. And this goes back. <laughs> Even, you know, watching engineers work on this stuff. And you see them with their little flashlight, and they're going into closets, and they're, and they're doing stuff. And you look at me like, what's going on? I'm down to one thing. I don't know what it is either. <laughs> and you just laugh. And, you, and I used to like go help and troubleshoot. So I and I I love I love technology, yeah I love technology. So here's one more. I have to tell you that the difference is wonderful. The clarity in digital audio, very good, Mac. I'm impressed. Well, there'll be I mean the people that invented it know what they're doing, but yeah I mean when I was gone for three weeks, the few times I did do my show. The difference was just so substantial. Even for somebody who's like half deaf like I am. Yeah, when I can hear it, you know that the difference is substantial. So anyway, the, um, hold on. Oh man, weekend adventure. The cottonmouth I almost stepped on while hiking the LaRue Pine Hills Snake Preserve in deep southern Illinois on Saturday. First venomous, snake, first venomous snake I've ever seen in the wild. Saw a total of six of them. Second guess myself wearing shorts and low-cutting hiking boots, you think? I got some world-class barbecue at a nationally known barbecue joint also. A picture of the cottonmouth. I don't like snakes. When I go hiking around here, uh, mostly down in uh, the mountains above. Yeah, it's north of Laguna Beach, so I'm not a Laguna Beach guy. Um, but um, the mountains have some great trails, and I'm constantly eyes down and on the outside of the trail looking for a rattlesnake that's curled up there. All right, so, yeah, I'm on snake watch. So, um the United States Marine Corps band makes this Monday morning official 
case you don't know it, it is the 18th day of October. Yeah. Halfway to Thanksgiving. Halfway to Halloween. And this is dedicated to uh, the life of of a great American, uh, somebody who lived uh, a great American life, born of uh, immigrant parents uh, who came to the United States, came to New York City from Jamaica, uh, went to public schools, went to City College of New York, uh, had a C average, and goes on to become the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a four-star general. I don't want to... I don't want to bag on General Milley, but you look at General Powell's picture as a four-star and General Milley, yeah, a little bit different. A <laughs> little bit different. All right. Not saying, I'm just saying. The, um, yeah, who lives a remarkable life. And again, uh, Colin Powell's inspiration to me um, is, is, it's not a perfect life. It's a, you know, he has flaws in his life and um you know hell one of them you know i participated in but uh, this is dedicated to him um and uh i think you know his flaws at least i'm not so sure about the one in vietnam um but at the end of the day when he flinched about iraq you know when you judge his life by the body of, of the work, there was nothing nefarious in his heart. There was no political playing. Maybe he deferred at a time that he should not have deferred. And so um, I can respect that flaw. I wince at it, but I can respect that flaw. And I, you know, you just wish he would have had one of his mentors look him in the face and say, don't compromise. Don't give up. Don't give up your point, no matter what these people around you are saying. So, um, so this decade to him uh, and the great life that he lived. Thank you. 
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Time for us to check the weather right now. That's right. Somebody wants me to put together, ask for solicitations. You should solicit great barbecue recommendations from your listeners and then provide a map on your website. Maybe a coffee table book. Pass your staff with that shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll get on that right away. He had a map of the person who sent me that had a, had one of those maps of like every Cracker Barrel in the country. He told me that he could, he could like literally, the gravy that comes with Cracker Barrel chicken, you know, fried chicken steak. Yeah. The, um, that he could drink that stuff, like, for breakfast out of, like, a pitcher. Yeah, Cracker, <laughs> cracker Barrel um, gravy. Yeah. Yeah, so go figure. We'll check the weather. I can't even keep the reading list. I get heckled uh because of the reading list that I I, I can't keep keep straight. I should make those guys keep their own reading list. And then I'll just copy and paste it. Right? That to me sounds like a better That to me sounds like reasonable you know what I mean yeah I mean that's what I think all right time for us to uh time for us to check the news Montana man went shooting on uh Montana man went shooting on Sunday He's down in Texas. Yeah, he shoots in these tournaments. Maybe we should get an update from him. And he's always he's always very frank about his shooting, which which is fun. Because you know Marines like shooting's a big deal. It is to my friends. So, 
Yeah. And then big big sports weekend, kind of. Baseball playoffs going on. Braves came back on the Dodgers last night. Yeah, that was a big deal. And the other series tied 1-1, headed back to Boston. So that in the news. Uh, the NHL started this past week. College football, pro football going. I did not watch very much football yesterday. I was working here. I have to, you know, I have to tell you, I love to work. I do. And, you know, when you work from your home, you could do it all the time. And it's what happens when your work is your passion. Yeah, you're just like, come on, let's work. Let's do this. All right, let me do the weather. Currently in Quantico, it is 64 degrees and sunny. Spoke to my son this morning at about 5 in the morning here. Driving my grandson to driving my grandson to, to school. Finn is in kindergarten, I think. Yep. And whenever I greet Finn, this is how I greet my grandson. Finn! I'm screaming this, right? Finn, what's up? <laughs> and so when he... And I put my hands over my... I put both my, uh, up, up, my arms up in the air, right? So when he sees me, that's what he yells. Papa, what's up? So anyway, yeah. So I had a chance to talk to my oldest son, which is always nice. And um, yeah, he lives in Quantico. That's what made me think of that. Down the coast at Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, the home of the 2nd Marine Airway. Sunny in 66, 29 Palms, Sun in 61. Email. Are you still doing shithole weather? Of course, man. Everybody stop sending me shithole weather stuff, so I don't do it anymore. 29 Palms, Sun in 61. Camp Pendleton, clouds in 60. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 71. Okinawa, clear, dark in 72. Manila. That would be in the Philippines, right? For all you geographically challenged individuals. It is dark, cloudy, and 80. And in Darwin, dark, cloudy, 82. Currently at the home of All Marine Radio, it is cloudy and 61. Actually, it rained a little bit. Yeah. Um, looking for a high today of only 65. Sunny tomorrow and 68. Partly sunny on Wednesday and 69. Partly sunny on Thursday and 71. Friday, partly sunny and 69 degrees. So that is a look at your weather. Now the other thing I the other thing I did was I um, I dialed up my um, let's see. An audio thing um, that plays bumpers, right? And so, but the cool thing about it is that, and it's kind of radio stuff. It's kind of geeky radio stuff. But, uh, like, it has these things at the other end of a mouse. Now, ideally, it would be on a touch screen in front of me, and I wouldn't have to touch the mouse. I just tap it. But I have to use mouse. Yeah. That... That's the rim shot, in case you don't know. Okay. And uh, this is... What? The record scratch. 
right? That's like me driving down I-5 listening to an audiobook called The Obstacle is the Way. And he uses the word unfuck in the book, right? So I'm driving down I-5. I'm listening, minding my own business, Sunday morning, coming back from Sacramento, and I hear the word unfuck. What? Yeah, exactly. Then there's a buzzer when people say things that are wrong. Then there's a repeated buzzer, buzzer for, like, multiple offenders. Yeah, there's all that. Um, there's Today in History music. Yeah. There's When We Have a Birthday. Yeah. This lovely little rendition. In that dress. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, ESPN Baseball Tonight when we talk sports. Right. NHL Tonight is better, though. I like it. I like NHL Tonight better. Yeah. Sounds a little bit more ominous. Question. What do you do when you force out, like, a significant portion of your police officers because... Um, because they won't get vaccinated. What's your what's your alternative? Anybody any ideas? Anybody Bueller, right? Then there's Al Pacino sent a woman. If I were the man I was 5 years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. The um yeah, one of my favorites right there. Right. You hear that in post traumatic winning as a matter of fact. Just in case. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. Yeah, you would. So there's Al Pacino. So again, now the important things is that it adds, <laughs> it has a bit of, you know, um, it has a bit of uh, humor to the program, right? Which to me is moderately important. Okay. And then there's J- Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. When Tom Cruise, the punk lawyer that he is, pushes Jack Nicholson, the salty war dog that he is, and this is what you get. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. That was awesome. When I saw that for the first time, I was like, Phew. but again, you have to listen to the whole scene. Uh, Robert Duvall from Apocalypse Now. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know what time we had a hail bomb? For 12 hours, when it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking big body. Smell! You know that gasoline smell? The whole hill. It smells like... Victory. Uh, you know what I really like about that? I like the sound of the helicopter. Sound of freedom, baby. Um, 
Then there's uh, <laughs> then there's Bill Clinton, one of my all-time favorites right here. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Straight up did. Miss Lewinsky. Yep, her. I never told anybody to lie. Of course not. Not a single time. Never. 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 These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. Applause ringing in his ears as he just, (laughs) you know, why that, I think that is like, we're not so pathetic, right? You know, he just got out of the hospital, by the way. Uh, Here, not too far from me, right? Less than five miles from me. Um, But here's what I want you to listen. In this delivery of this, right? This is what a liar Bill Clinton was, okay? And I put him in the same status of all the rest of them, right? Uh, Donald Trump, he's the same. And they're no different. It's just the lies they tell that are different. Um, But they'll, I mean, they'll say anything to get what they want. Anyway, so here's Bill Clinton. I, listen to him pound on the on the podium that he's standing at. You ready? Listen one more time. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time. Never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work. For the American people. Thank you. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That stuff is awesome. Bill Clinton, man. You cannot make it up. Right? Then I I took some uh some bumper music on here in case I need it, right? Eminem, my angry music. That is good angry music. So I took this and I made a, it's about 11 minutes of of just like a certain segment. If you're angry, you could put this on and you'll start tapping your toe right away. And your anger will have a little bit of a beat to it. Yeah, it's kind of like American Bandstand. Could you dance to it? Not really, but you can bob your head and get angrier and let your anger brew to a nice boil so that you could do really something irrational. <laughs> yeah, that's about 11 minutes of that. Yeah. The, um, yeah, Santana is in here. One of my favorites, right? I love I love the way it starts. So you could, t- I'm giving you a little behind the curtain stuff here. Now when she gets, when, when the initial riff gets going, Right? It's a perfect segue into talking. I'll show you. Very good morning to you on a Monday. Yeah, see how that goes? A little behind the curtains kind of shit. Um, this is, if I ever do sing karaoke, as Grant says, um, this is my song, my go-to. Yeah, I could, I could voice double Toby Keith without a problem. Yeah. I won't do it here. Well, maybe I will. <clears throat> you ready? No, I'm not going to do it. The table beside my bed. 
No, you know, the digital makes it too clear. And it sounds like shit now. Fuck, that's a blow. A uh, little Frank Sinatra. little Frank Sinatra music here. All right. Song called The Summer Wind. The chairman of the board right there. Uh, because I'm from California, a native of the Golden State, that's right. The Beach Boys got to be in here. Round, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around. Cowabunga, dude. The best concerts ever, Beach Boys. Everybody knows all the words to them. They're outdoors here in California. Pretty good party. And then this is, this has to be in here. When my aviator friends come on, this is how we ridicule them. Yeah, my fighter fighter pilot friends. There's such losers too about this shit. And they quote it all the time. That's what's so pathetic about them. Tom Cruise for the love of God. And so this thing's actually two pages, but the first page is the one that's up. So that's the quick stuff I need. The um, <laughs> There's some other stuff I have, which I love this, right? I used to sing this too. Frankie Lang singing Rawhide. This is one of the greatest songs ever made. I used to watch this show when I was a kid. Singing about his gal, right? Then he starts singing about the cows, right? This is what I find fascinating. He, uh, the mental state of the cows. Listen to this. Okay, here's the part of the mental condition of the cows. Don't try to understand them? What? Yeah. Frankie Lane singing Rawhide. Um, the, there's a thing that I have that is, <laughs> that is hilarious. And um, this is today's show about, now it's going to be about Colin Powell, but I don't know. I got sidetracked about with my weekend. Um, 
the uh, this is liars, great liars in American history, right? Okay, and so it features Pete Rose, Richard Nixon, tobacco company executives, and Bill Clinton. Right, so this is this is awesome, right? I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes, but in all of my years of public life, I have never profited, never profited from public service. I've earned every cent. And in all of my years of public life, I have never obstructed justice. And I think, too, that I can say that in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. My life is baseball. Uh, I hope to get back into baseball as soon as I possibly can. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, matter of fact, it's I've never looked forward to a birthday like I'm looking forward to. Pete Rose on the day he was suspended for gambling on baseball. Just lying his ass off. Baseball commissioner this morning said, quote, I concluded that he bet on baseball. Yet you stand there now and say you didn't, but that you think the punishment is fair. How all those things got? Well, regardless of what the commissioner said today, uh, I did not bet on baseball. Uh, that's all I can say. I bet on my team every night. Okay. Okay, I didn't, I didn't bet on my team four nights a week. What the so heck? I wouldn't send them a single after the season. I'm not going to use my clothes around Friday night or Saturday night. I mean, that's how much. And I was wrong, okay? I was but do you realize, you realize, how, you realize how strange this is now? You're, you're telling me more than we thought? In other words, well, no, no, our, our roles are reversed here. If you follow the Dow report, I mean, that's what uh, that's what uh, Paul Jansen said, and he was absolutely right. But wow. Did you I bet on them every my, night? I mean, I, what's that? You bet on the Reds every night. Yeah, I bet, I bet on the Reds. I bet on my team to win uh, every night because I love my team. I believe in my team. I'll begin my questioning on the matter of uh, whether or not nicotine is addictive. These are all tobacco executives. Go down the row, uh, whether each of you believe that, that nicotine... Listen to this shit. I heard virtually all of you touch on it. And just yes or no. Do you believe nicotine is not addictive? I believe nicotine is not addictive, yes. Mr. Johnson. Uh, Congressman, cigarettes and nicotine clearly do not meet the classic definitions of addiction. There is no intoxication. Right. We'll, we'll take that as a no. And again, time is short. If you could just... I think each of you believe nicotine is not addictive. We just would like to have this for the record. I don't believe that nicotine or our products are addictive. I believe nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. And I too believe that nicotine is not addictive. Now, I have to go back to work on my state of union speech. No. Why does that sound worse when somebody with a southern drawl says, says it? I don't know, but it does. Right? I do not believe that nicotine is addictive. Um, 
I also have Bill Clinton talking about the def in his deposition. That would depend on your definition of the. Have you ever heard this? The definition of the word is is. If the definition is that it is and never was, you know, I mean, shit like that. I won't play that for you. Um, there's this little gem. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I used to envision myself as a cowboy when I lived in North Dakota, right? Riding across the plains, and I'd play this music. Yeah. Me on my Appaloosa horse like Little Joe in Bonanza. No, that was a Palomino horse. Sorry about that. With my cowboy hat on. But the front's kind of floppy brimmed. And so when I ride, it kind of folds back. Yeah, now I'm like at full gallop here. Right, the, uh, the, the shot done by a drone these days, right? As I'm galloping across the plains, right? You can feel it, come on. Yeah, so that's that. The, um, <laughs> the, here's an email. What in the hell are you doing today? I'm taking you on a little trip behind the scene. This is like all studio all the time since I worked on it. Um, yeah, and, and then this thing now comes back into play. Um, I, this you'll hear to start the program when something is really bullshit that's going on and I'm bothered by it. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly. That's my. There's some fucking bullshit going on. Bumper music. Yeah. So there's a little trip around Max Audio. Um, I want to talk about Colin Powell a little bit. Um. And I don't, I don't want to talk about his whole life, but uh, he was born on January 20. I'm sorry. I can't even get his birthday right. All right. He was born on April 5th, 1937 in New York City. And he passed away at Walter Reed uh, Medical Center uh, in Bethesda, Maryland. And it was, uh, cause of death is uh, related to COVID-19. He has three children, Michael, Linda, and uh, Anne-Marie. Educated at City College of New York, where he got a BS, and George Washington University, where he got his MBA. Uh, Joined the Army in 1958. Got out of the Army in 1993, rose to the rank of four-star general. Uh, His commands, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, United States Army Forces Command. I was just there. Uh, Second Brigade of the 101st Airborne Division, right? Uh, Fought in Vietnam, fought in Panama, you know, was part of the invasion of Panama and led the Gulf War. Um, his, um, His medals awarded the Bronze Star, 
he stepped on punji sticks. The word of the Purple Heart as well. Let's see. Army Commendation Medal with two oak leaf clusters. The Air Medal. How about that? Bronze Star Medal without a V. Um, the Navy's Distinguished Service Medal. How about that? Air Force Distinguished Service Medal. Uh, he had his Combat Infantryman Badge. He had his Ranger Tab. Yeah, he's... He had his jump wings, his air assault wings, Pathfinder badge. Yeah, you know how those Army people, they have that stuff all over the place. Um, so a little bit about his life. And, and the, the parts I want to concentrate on are the controversial parts of his life. Um, first in Vietnam. Okay, So he goes there. Um, in his autobiography, this is according to the Wikipedia page about him, but anyway, um, in his book he says he was haunted by the nightmare of the Vietnam War and felt that leadership was very ineffective. That allegedly comes from his book. So he goes there as a lieutenant captain, as an advisor in 1962-1963 while on patrol with in a Viet Cong-held area, he was wounded by stepping on a punji stake. Now, punji stakes were uh, bamboo stakes, mostly, maybe wooden, that were sharpened and were put down in a hole. And um, there was vegetation put on top of it, so you would step on it. And when you stepped, you, when you stepped on the vegetation, your foot would go through it, plunging down into the, these, uh, this pit. And the the stuff in there was so sharp, it would go through the sole of your boot. And it was also, a lot of times there was um, fecal matter in there, there was urine in there, just, you know, stuff thrown in there to designed to cause infection, especially in, in the hot, humid weather. So that's what happened to him. The infection he got from stepping on that bungee stake uh, made it difficult for him to walk, and uh, he was evacuated. He goes back to Vietnam as a major in 1968, serving as the assistant chief of staff for operations in a 23rd Infantry Division known as the Americal Division. And it's during this time that he's involved um, with investigating a letter by an 11th Light Infantry Brigade soldier by the name of Tom Glenn. Right, and Glenn's letter backed up the rumor of the My Lai massacre. He wrote, in direct refutation of this portrayal is the fact that relations between American soldiers and the Vietnamese people are excellent. So, and that was that's what Powell wrote. So this letter comes in. There's rumors traveling around that there was a terrible massacre that took place at a place called Mi Lai. Powell's on the staff. He's designed to, I think, overlook the initial assessment that was done 
and he writes that. In direct refutation of this portrayal is the fact that relations between American soldiers and Vietnamese people are excellent. So, asked to investigate something, and and again, you put yourself in, in that situation. Now, he's a major, so he's been in the, the Army for over 10 years at this time. I think he joined in, what, 58, I said? So, this is 68, so he's been in the Army for 10 years. He's already been to Vietnam once, so he's been around a little bit, right? And um, But, again, when you're serving in a staff position like that, um, and you see these allegations on a regular basis, you know, do you turn a John to sigh? Do you know what your superiors want, which is to paper this thing and be done with it, which is it looks like exactly what he did. And so I would tell you, I would tell you this, in two pretty substantial instances in his life where Colin Powell was faced with the, possibly the unfortunate circumstances of being that guy, he chooses not to be that guy. And as I said, I mean, he's a flawed, he's a flawed guy. And I think, I mean, again, if he digs at all, if he goes out to Milai and starts interviewing people at all or sends anybody out there to do that, he finds out what truly happened. But he doesn't. Later, his assessment would be described as whitewashing the news of the massacre In 2004, he was interviewed by Larry King, who asked him about it. Quote, I was in a unit that was responsible for Me Lai. I got there after Me Lai had happened. So in war, those sorts of horrible things happen every now and again, but they're still to be deployed. Well, the question should have been, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can pull the interview and go through it. Um, the question should have been, okay, General Powell, could you explain to me this allegations get this gets made? You wrote this in direct refutation of that allegation. Did you go out and look at it? Did you not take it seriously? Could you give us the footnotes that explain how why you wrote what you wrote? Because I don't understand it. Because it sounds to me like if you would have gone out there and asked a few questions, you would have found out the truth. Were you not interested in the truth because your superiors didn't want you to find it? Because he will encounter a similar fate when he's the um, he's the lone individual that stands in the way of the United States going to war in Iraq. <clears throat> I was told by a Vietnam veteran who got out as a three-star general uh, at the time, yeah, we're not going there. Powell will not allow it. I said, really? And he said, yeah. And at the end of the day, um, he caved in and he took, um, he took um, the very, very flawed intelligence that the United States was basing this course of action on to the United Nation and he gave it, he gave it the credibility that it lacked. And so a second time in his life where he's that guy that's standing at a point where any, any failed. Now that, that doesn't negate all the great things he did in his life. It simply is the frame that you have to look at his, his life through. 
So I want to play some audio for you. And uh, these are things I saw a little bit ago. I had Fox News on. And Jennifer Griffin is the Fox News reporter who um, who uh, covers the Pentagon. And so this is her talking about the passing of Colin Powell this morning. Ask anyone at the Pentagon and in the U.S. military about their reaction to the death of Colin Powell, and one word comes to mind, integrity. The first black national security advisor, the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and the first black secretary of state. Colin Powell broke barriers and made history. A soldier for 35 years, he'll be remembered for the Powell Doctrine during Desert Storm and the first Gulf War as chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the Pentagon. Is a vital national security interest threatened, he asked. Do we have a clear attainable objective? Have the risks and costs been fully and frankly analyzed? Have all other nonviolent policy means been fully exhausted? Is there a plausible exit strategy to avoid endless entanglement? Have the consequences of our action been fully considered? Is the action supported by the American people? Do we have genuine, broad international support? He famously told then-Secretary of State Madeleine Albright regarding the use of the U.S. military in the Balkans that U.S. troops should not be used as toy soldiers. And then there was his pottery barn rule. You break it, you own it. A tough lesson that the U.S. learned after the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq after 9-11 when the U.S. military ignored the Powell Doctrine and did not have an exit strategy. Born to Jamaican parents and immigrants, Colin Powell joined ROTC at the City College of New York, served two tours in Vietnam where his worldview was shaped. While training at Fort Benning in Georgia, he faced racism. He was injured in Vietnam, forcing an early end to that first tour. He rose through the ranks and as lieutenant general was made national security advisor under Ronald Reagan after the Iran-Contra scandal. As secretary of state under George W. Bush, despite deep skepticism about the Iraq invasion, he presented the purported intelligence suggesting Saddam Hussein had WMD to the United Nations. He had deep skepticism about the intelligence and regrets later in life about his mistake. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, traveling in Eastern Europe, issued the following statement. The world lost one of the greatest leaders that we have ever witnessed. And I lost uh, a tremendous personal friend and mentor. Uh, he has been my mentor for a number of years. Uh, he always made time for me, and I could always go to him with, with tough issues. He always had great, uh, great counsel. I feel as if I have a hole in my heart. It will be, uh, quite frankly, it is not possible to replace a Colin Powell. We will miss him. Colin Powell passed away this morning at Walter Reed. So that's Jennifer Griffin. And you could hear one of the things that you're going to hear in every one of these audio cuts, and um, you'll hear Jack Keane speak next. Um, you will hear um, every person talk about um, General Powell's um, struggle with uh, the decision to go to war uh, in Iraq. Uh, you will hear about the aftermath of Afghanistan. What do we do with this thing now? And the whole, you know, pottery, pottery barn, you break it, you bought it. Well, again, I mean, in, in, in directly pushing back on that, we didn't break Afghanistan. Afghanistan was broken long before September 11th. And, and by virtue of what we did in that country, we didn't break it any further. 
And so the Pottery Barn School of, and and he pushed back on on and saying that's not that's not what I meant. So anyway, um, but you'll hear these things constantly. You also hear um, that that uh, and, and and I identify with this part of Colin Powell, and that is this. You know, people. You know, he was Republican, I think, by affiliation, but um, he supported Barack Obama. He supported um, uh, George Bush. Uh, he could not stand Donald Trump. Okay, and so um, a very much a, a moderate, um, a conservative guy. And you'll hear these things throughout these comments. So this is uh, retired Army Lieutenant General Jack Keane. He's a frequent contributor on Fox. And uh, so this is General Keene. Well, my, my thoughts certainly and prayers go out to the to Amr and, and, and the family. And, and uh, certainly he's going to be uh, missed uh, significantly. Colin Powell's a towering figure. Uh, in American life and history, he was respected around the world. He he was a gifted natural leader, who had this you know commanding presence about himself, and an unflappable temperament. And and as such, uh, he became uh, one of America's great soldier statesmen, uh, in the vein of Eisenhower and, and George Marshall. And that is so rare for uh, a senior military leader. Uh, who gains prominence because of his leadership and operational capability to be able to transition to a very complicated world of foreign policy and national security and politics and be able to make that transition and be as effective as he was certainly set him apart uh, from from many of his peers and and on the personal side I mean you know Colonel Powell is disarming when you meet him because he doesn't wear his rank on his sleeves he's uh, he's so personable uh, and and he's kind and he's he's compassionate and he listens and he respects the view of others and I think it's his humbling beginnings uh, in the Bronx uh, he never ever lost sight of those roots and what he meant to him and and that's why I think he had such a natural love of his troops and his soldiers. They were always on his mind, no matter whether he was in Secretary of State or Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. When he was dealing with foreign policy and national security, always in the back of his mind, what is the impact going to be on our troops? They were always a part of his life and his decision making and very much a part of the love that he had uh, in his life. And and, and I think the, the thing that uh, that he really accomplished in terms history he was he fought in the vietnam war as an infantryman and i've got close identity with that because that meant that he was up close he saw the war personally and he saw the horror of it and it helps define you when that happens at such a young age so he was part of the generation uh, bill and dana that rebuilt the united states military we became a voluntary military we became professionalized after the huge uh strategic failure in Vietnam. It was a catalyst going forward. Let's get this right. And as Britt mentioned, certainly the Powell Doctrine was part of it. But most of it had to do with the skill sets and and the uh, skills that people developed and the organizations developed and their capabilities. And morale was sky high. And we saw that unfold in Just Cause in Panama. Colin Powell, when he first got the briefing uh, to take down the dictator Noriega in Panama, it was 
presented to him that we're going to build up our forces over days and a couple of weeks and then conduct this invasion. And Powell looked at him and said, why are we doing that? We've been investing and fighting it tonight. We've got the technology. We've been training all of our soldiers. Why don't we just go down and take this thug out during the middle of the night? And that is exactly what we did. We parachuted in there in the middle of the night uh, with, with Rangers, with Delta, with others, and in about three or four hours decapitated that dictator. Most people didn't see much of that because it happened so quickly. But America saw the unfolding of America's military that reached its prowess, certainly in the 20th century, when Colin Powell was also chairman of Joint Chiefs during the Gulf War. And they saw American conventional power on display, the fruition of a, a generation of rebuilding the military after, after Vietnam. And there sits Colin Powell in the highest position in the military during the unfolding of, the, of that campaign. And, and certainly he, he was an absolute reflection of what was taking place on the ground because he and many of his peers were responsible for what unfolded there in rebuilding this military. And it was there, uh, Bill and Dana, that the American people began to fall in love with the American military once again mm -hmm. because they got to see them up close and they got to see their, their passion and their commitment to America and their willingness to sacrifice and their ability to articulate. Colin Powell knew if you, if you have a VIP around, send him down to see the troops and let the troops talk to him. They'll do it far better than any of the generals or any of the senior NCOs or officers. And yes, he's going to be missed, Bill. Very, very significant. Thank you, General. Jack Keane, terrific history there. Um, you know, one of the things about Colin Powell, I mean, he was unique. There wasn't a lot of people like him uh, in terms of uh, casting off this uh, very common uh you know um common he was an everyday guy right grew up in the grew up in the bronx in new york city right went to city college of new york you know got seized while he was there you know yet he has this um he has a refined way about him when you saw him the way he conducted himself so he's a pretty unique guy in in that and so jack keen you know talked about you know that he was a part in the army of 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 vietnam veterans that rebuilt the army um next i want you to listen to brit hume and the last person that'll speak is uh andy card uh brit hume is a news guy um and uh brit hume maybe one of the last news guys that actually focuses on news, that advertised himself as a news guy, and actually did it. And um, and so um, this is him talking about the death of Colin Powell. My memories of Colin Powell date back to, I guess, 1989, early part of 1990, when the United States decided to invade Panama. It is a conflict that many people have forgotten all about. It was the purpose was to topple the uh, dictatorship of Manuel Noriega, who was a criminal, uh, and had uh, his his government had declared war on the United States, um, and 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 we went in, and this was at a time you all should recall when there was tremendous skepticism about the use of American military force and how effective it could be, even in a situation like that, and Colin Powell came forward to brief the press on this. His briefings were absolutely dazzling. 
and I think he's widely remembered as one of the great briefers of all time. He was articulate. He was clear. He was to the point. He was knowledgeable. He was on it, and he dominated these briefings. And, of course, he was later the, uh, the architect of the first Gulf War, which was a resounding success and a reflection of the Powell Doctrine that Jennifer just mentioned, which was that the United States should have clear, uh, well-articulated uh, objectives in any military operation, uh, and they should be conducted with overwhelming force. Uh, and that was certainly the case in that one, and, and Powell's briefings there were spectacular as well. He was now, let me, let me just say something real quick um, and interrupt Britt Hume. That was Vietnam right? Clear objectives. How do we get out of there, right? Overwhelming force and compare and contrast that with Afghanistan. None of that. None of that was there. That's why Afghanistan is so difficult to, so difficult to accept. Gentlemen, he was as talented a military officer and indeed a, a, a public official as I think I've ever known. Mm, wow. Uh, Britt, what do you recall from his own considerations about going from a lifetime of duty through the military to cross over, possibly, which did not happen, into uh, a new career of politics? Or well, he was urged to do so by people in both parties. He was extraordinarily popular with the American people who, who saw this remarkable man who came from basically humble beginnings uh, to rise to these very senior positions in the government. Um, he was not really at the time particularly controversial, and and people thought this here is a man who could easily be elected president, so both parties were after him. And he, he thought it over. Uh, it, uh, his wife didn't want him to do it, um, and he decided not to do it and uh, because he just said he just didn't have the, just didn't have the heart for it. Uh, and uh, I, who knows what I, th I think he could have been elected, uh, but he's made that decision. Mm. You know, I don't think he, it's not that he didn't have the heart for it. He didn't have the stomach for it. You know, he did not have the stomach for it. And um, Colin Powell's wife, Alma, smart woman, um, because that's a, that's a pretty disgusting business. Politics, right? Um, I saw Matthew McConaughey who's an actor, but he's, he's, he's involved in politics and, you know, rumored to be, um, rumored to be, um, interested in running for either governor or some political office in, uh, in Texas. And, um, he said, you know, as I've thought about this, and he said this a couple weeks ago, I don't know that I'm into putting myself in a position to be, you know, to be abused and then only to have the things that I worked so hard for, for a, maybe a short period of time for four weeks, be turn around, be undone by somebody else who walks in after me who doesn't share my perspective. And I thought that was pretty interesting because, again, you know, what you have to sign up for when, when you... Um, when you sign up to be a politician is that game that gets played and it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the truth it has to have uh it has it has some to do with you know who you are who's behind you who in the media backs you right will they write stuff about you and be cover you in a favorable manner when they could clearly just as easily not 
and do you want to do you want to live in that world do you want to live in that world so um Brit Hume continues but again I don't think it has anything with heart it has everything to do with stomach for politics he went on to endorse President Obama in the second term and then of course I endorsed uh, Joe Biden in 2020 um, and he, he had been fairly independent up until he became a political appointee under George W. Bush's administration. What do you think about that in terms of well, well, the he was thought of generally as a Republican. He was thought of as a Republican because mm-hmm. he had reached these senior positions under Presidents uh, Reagan, Bush 41, and then Bush 43, under whom he became Secretary of State. Um, but his political views were a little, you know, a little unclear, and of course, over time. He, he ended up resisting um, uh, military actions that some of the colleagues, particularly in the Bush 43 cabinet, uh, were in favor of. So he was so he, so he was a man of somewhat indistinct political leanings, and uh, he, he eventually soured on uh, uh, on the Republican Party, endorsing President Obama, and then of course uh, he couldn't stand uh, Donald Trump, couldn't stand him, and made it pretty clear. And uh, so he, you know, he ended up endorsing Joe Biden. I'd love to know how he actually ended up feeling about that. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered the same. Britt, your first answer there about Panama, late 80s, 1989, then the Gulf War that followed in 1991, January of that year. Uh, this, I think the point you were, you were leading us to is, is very interesting because... America militarily was kind of back on its heels, you know, with the stain of Vietnam. Um, concluding in 1975, and uh, the, the forays militarily, one could argue, were were rather tepid. You think about Somalia under Bill Clinton. Uh, we were in there and out within, I don't know, what appeared to be, what, was it weeks? But Powell was really at the forefront of leading America militarily back into the world's leader. Would you characterize well, it, was, it, it that was a, way? It was a time when there was such hesitancy about the use of military force. And Colin Powell actually was not a great advocate of its continual use. Um, but he believed it could be effective and that there were conditions uh, that had to be met for it to be effective. That was the Powell Doctrine. And I recall vividly after uh, the success of the Gulf War the first Gulf War, which was you know, over in a matter of days, very few American casualties, a wipeout victory, um, and uh, you know, unquestioned success. Uh, uh, George George W. Bush, uh, excuse me, George H. W. Bush said, "We've licked Vietnam syndrome forever." Words to that effect. That might not be an exact quote, but it's very close. And that was what the attitude toward the use of military force was affected by what was called Vietnam Syndrome, because we ended up pulling out of there. It was a military defeat after many years and tens of thousands of American casualties. And, uh, and so military force was in, was in bad repute at the time. And then here came this stunning military success carried out in a very short period of time with overwhelming force, as Powell always, artic- always argued for. And that, was, that, 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 I think, put the military back the use of military force back on the table is something that could be that could be employed without uh, without tremendous political consequences. Mm-hmm. Brit Hume, right there. So, I, I, to me, very interesting the way they discussed the Powell Doctrine and and the evolution of and again, those were the lessons of Vietnam. All those things that all those things that 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 were discussed right there. 
right? And and I'll in fact I'll I'll give you the Powell doctrine right here. Number one, is it a vital national security? Is a vital national security interest threatened? Two, do we have a clear attainable objective? Three, have the risk and the cost been fully and frankly analyzed? Four. Have all other nonviolent policy means been fully exhausted? Five, is there a plausible exit strategy to avoid endless entanglement? Six, have the consequences of our action been fully considered? Seven, is the action supported by the American people? Eight, do we have genuine broad international support? So, interesting, right? So that is the Powell Doctrine. Now, the Pottery Barn thing um, is kind of interesting because it flies in the pay, it flies in the face of uh, the Powell Doctrine, you know. And that says if you go there and you break it, you know, do you do you in fact buy it? So, um, so the next one. Now, this is the this is the political guy, which is why. He's at the end of all these little audio clips that I saw. This is Andy Card, Chief of Staff of the White House under George Bush, right? This is his reaction. I want you to pay special attention when Andy Card talks about Colin Powell's interaction with other cabinet officials before the run-up to the Iraq War. And I want you to hear how he chooses his words, okay, and at one point, I think he says something to the effect that, well, I don't think he ever said anything. I don't think he ever said anything that he didn't truly believe. That gives you some level of understanding. The fact that Colin Powell was not, he was not good with the decision. The President of the United States implored him that he needed him as a Secretary of State to do this. And at that moment, he flinched. So it's it's I think it's the most uh, one of the most interesting parts of Colin Colin Powell's career, but this is Andy Card earlier this morning talking about the death of Colin Powell. Oh, this, that's so sad to learn of this, and yes, my prayers are with Alma and the entire family, and my wife is very close to Alma Powell. She was also tremendously supportive of. of I'm going to say the spouses of all of the people who were serving in government during challenging times. But Colin Powell, you know, I first met him in 1983 working for President Ronald Reagan at the White House. And our responsibilities uh, had us interacting regularly during the Reagan administration, George H.W. Bush administration, and obviously George W. Bush's administration. So uh, he is a remarkable, he was a remarkable man. He was a patriot. He was a soldier, he was a general, he was a diplomat, a leader of conscience, he was a point of light, of compassion, a fabulous husband and a father and a grandfather and a great friend. And uh, it's just amazing how much he gave, not only to the United States, uh, but to the people of the world. And he lifted everyone up everywhere he went. And I, he was... He would stand on stage, but he wasn't always looking for the Klieg light. He was looking to empower other people so that they could stand on the stage and be recognized. And his his work as a point of light with the, the little red wagon, uh, 
you know, changed people's lives. And people don't talk about some of those things, but Colin Powell was the real deal, and boy, will he be missed. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I really appreciated the candid conversations that we had over policy and over how to describe some of the challenges that we had to face, especially during my tenure as chief of staff and, mm -hmm. and helping President Bush uh, do such a spectacular job, job leading the country mm -hmm. after 9-11. Andy, what do you recall from the days or that long weekend in early February of 03 when it came to convincing... Now pay attention to this, when it came to... ...convincing Colin Powell about WMD and that project well, that Saddam Hussein. Secretary Powell was very engaged in all of the meetings that the president had with the CIA, George Tennant and his team, as well as the folks from the Defense Department and obviously the State Department. And he asked tough questions. And uh, he, he challenged uh, the intelligence community, not just the intelligence community at the CIA, but also the defense intelligence community and the, the work of the State Department in their intelligence efforts. So he was um, appropriately skeptical but he was also committed to helping to advance the mission. And I remember he was, he was asking very tough questions as he was getting ready to make his presentation to the United Nations. And um, it was sometimes tense. He, I don't think that he was ever forced to say anything he didn't agree to say. Mm -hmm. but he, Listen to that. That's interesting. I don't think that he was ever forced to say anything that he didn't agree to say. That's a pretty amazing um, statement coming from Andy Card, right? And his kind of off-the-cuff recollection of the discussions that were going on back and forth between the Secretary of State, the President of the United States. I would imagine Don Rumsfeld, the Secretary of Defense, was involved in that as a proponent of the war. Amazing. He was not pliable. He was stoic and upfront. And I, I thought he did a remarkable job. You know, we all have better hindsight than foresight. But Colin Powell, I think, mixed the responsibilities he's had looking backwards and helped us look forward. But it was, it was a tough time for Colin Powell at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was appropriate tension in a cabinet, and Colin Powell was appropriate whenever he challenged others in the cabinet to uh, kind of help to educate him or give him a chance to edu educate them. So uh, I have great respect. Well, great well respect said. Well stated, Andy. Thank you for that. Andy, I wanted to ask you about another um, huge diplomatic effort that he was very much involved in from the inception, and that was the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. Oh, he... He was so committed to the work on AIDS relief and uh, in the United States and around the world. And he, he also did an awful lot to help uh, the Haitian people. people. The first boat lift from Haiti happened at the tail end of the George H.W. Bush administration going into Bill Clinton's administration. And you remember thousands of Haitians got in these rickety crafts, and I was the Secretary of Transportation, and it was up to the Coast Guard to help them not die on the open seas. And we brought them to Guantanamo. Colin Powell was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. 
and he did a remarkable job of creating a climate where those people could be housed in Guantanamo and get ready to go back to Haiti. And then President Clinton put him in charge of the effort of helping the Haitian government get ready to do a better job taking care of their people. So we tend to forget those efforts that he uh, undertook uh, for the United States of America. He, yes, he was a Republican, but he was a public servant most. And he was not a Republican when he was a general. He was just a general. And he gave wise counsel to all of the people around him and was just an inspiration of leadership. Colin Powell. Um, yeah, you could see. And, and you know, it's something that, that I want to I wanna expand on um, uh, during the course of the week because I've, I've thought about it. I mean, certainly, you know, his decision impacted my life. And the lives of my friends, it impacted uh, the Middle East, still impacts it to this day, impacted Europe. Um, And so, um, yeah, so what you see coming out of Vietnam is this rethinking of America's uh, military strategy, the whole Powell doctrine of exit strategy, strategy support of the American people, how important that is. And then uh, we essentially turn our backs on it as we go to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And again, um, I, you've heard me say this before, but what is so um, confounding is not the right word. What is so uh, disillusioning and disappointing is the fact that the guys who initially take us to war in Iraq and Afghanistan are all Vietnam guys. They know those lessons. They live those lessons, and then they turn their back on them. Yeah. General Myers flew up, flew missions in Vietnam, out of Thailand. Um, General Franks, artillery guy in Vietnam. You know, General Powell. And so, um, yeah, that's what, I mean, they should have known. They didn't, what do you mean should have? They did know. Yet somehow or other, uh, they allowed the nation to go to war in a uh, in places that we should not have gone to war. They allowed wars to be in, uh, conducted in a manner that uh, they should not have allowed. And so, um, so anyway, uh, but let me, let me just say this. Um, Colin Powell's humanity his his pedestrian nature, um, his sense of humor, and you know his life as a flawed human being, right? All get put together, and he lives a great life. You know he lives an an absolutely amazing life. You know again, uh, the son of immigrants from Jamaica, and uh, and so pretty amazing pretty amazing uh life but i would tell you this um i think it's really important that um that we look at you know the controversy that surrounds the the colin powell you know pottery barn theory and um and so and i'll just read that to you right the Pottery Barn Rule is an American expression alluding to the policy of you break it, you bought it. 
New York Times columnist Tom Friedman claims to have coined the term, having used the phrase the pottery store rule in February, on February 12th of 2003 in a column. He said he referred to pottery barns specifically in speeches. According to the Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward, U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell cited the rule in the summer of 2002 when warning President George W. Bush of the consequences of his planned military action in Iraq. Quote, you are going to be the proud owner of 25 million people, he told the president. You will own all their hopes, aspirations, and problems. You will own it all. Privately, Powell and Deputy Secretary of State Richard Armitage, Armitage I'm sorry, called this the pottery barn rule. You break it, you own it. Powell confirmed the quotation on, while being interviewed in 2006. Colin Powell later on denied using the term pottery barn rule, but he stated this. It is said that I used the, quote, pottery barn rule. I never did. Friedman did it. But what I did say is that once you break it, you're going to own it. And we're going to be responsible for 26 million people standing they're looking at us, and it's going to suck up a good 40 to 50% of the army for year, years. And it's going to take all the oxygen out of the political movement. How about that? And Don Rumsfeld wasn't having it. And George Bush wasn't smart enough to figure it out. Pretty sobering stuff. Right? Pretty sobering stuff. That'll do it on a Monday. Um, obviously, the thoughts and prayers of the nation go out to, uh, you know, the family of Colin Powell, who gave up their father on a lot of different occasions. For years at a time uh, to the service of his nation. And so uh, certainly the, the love of the American nation uh, goes out to them because Colin Powell was, um, although flawed, I mean, he always seemed to be and conduct himself as an honorable man. And that is, he's a great example, I think, to all of us, that even though you screw it up, you can still come back from that. You can still contribute. And so we certainly mourn his loss today. So on days like today, when we mourn the passing of somebody, the, um, the way I tend to end the program is, um, is like this. 
um, you will hear a, uh, a song called Eternal Father, which is uh, uh, played uh, at Marine Memorial Services. So we do this in honor of Colin Powell today, uh, a soldier, right? Former Secretary of Defense, it's former uh, Secretary of State, right? So you'll hear the um, the song Eternal Father, and you'll hear the Marine verse to it. Uh, you'll hear um, the Marine's hymn in its slow ceremonial fashion, and then you'll hear taps with a 21-gun salute, which uh, Colin Powell earned every one of those guns being fired in that salute. So, um, with that said, you know, fair winds of following seas to, uh, to General Colin Powell, United States Army. God bless you.
I have to tell you that I'm not good with that cannon salute, okay? Um, because Colin Powell, right, is a former chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. And hold on. This is 21-gun artillery salute that is more appropriate. And this is, this is the video from General Monday, former Commandant of the Marine Corps, father of Sam Monday, right? This is his funeral, which I'd love to watch. Um, there's a video of, you know, the rifle company from 8th and I marching through his hometown of, in North Carolina. It is a small town. They come out of the church and they march from the church to the cemetery. It's awesome. If you like ceremonial shit, you know, it's this, it's, it's the majesty of the United States Marine Corps, right? Of eighth and I marching to a small town in North Carolina in tribute to a commandant of the Marine Corps who's just passed away. And it looks great. The Marines from eighth and I marching the way they do, right? In the great looking uniforms of the Marine Corps in this small town. It's fantastic. But anyway, the, there's a firing detail that um, of of, uh, of four cannons that goes to um, that goes to that's there uh, four artillery pieces at a at a at the at adjacent to the cemetery. You can see the wall of the cemetery. You can see people next to it. And so, so when honors when it comes time to render honors from somebody of that rank, right? Uh, this is what it sounds like when those artillery pieces do it, as opposed to um, normally you have seven shooters, right? And they each shoot three times, right? <laughs> right? And um, yeah, that's not the way we do it for people like Colin Powell. This is what it normally sounds like. And so the, in the video, you see the arty guys, right? They march to their artillery pieces. They, they turn it, the whole thing into a drill movement. It's raining there, too. It's raining in North Carolina. That's what you hear. So you've got the arty dude standing out there. You got their NCYC staring at his watch. Huh. And you got this family that's filming this thing. I love the echo. 
Hold it still. Out at a seventeen. <clears throat> I love those sounds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what it sounds like when The American military renders honors to one of its uh, outstanding leaders, and that's what uh, that's what that is. So, on that note, at some point, the nation will say goodbye to Colin Powell, and that'll be uh, interesting to watch as the nation. It'd be interesting to see what his funeral looks like, where he's will be buried. I I guess I assume Arlington. Uh, one does not know though. And the type of honors that uh, that will be um, rendered to uh, General Powell. So, um, anyway, thanks for listening today. Grant Newsham will join me tomorrow. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, in an absolutely fantastic interview, by the way. And I don't say that because anything for me, but Grant, uh, it's very interesting as we kind of talk about uh, his <laughs> his comments about China last week saying that we have to be prepared to tell the Chinese that you know that that nuclear a, a nuclear war will be on the table if they think they're going to roll over Taiwan and so much fallout from that so Grant talks about that and then we talk about some interesting stuff going on with the Philippines um, that in the news and so uh, we we talk about all of that so anyway Thank you very much uh, for listening today on a Monday. You're going to hear Steve Wood, Winwood, while I get this audio ready to play. It may take me a minute or two. So enjoy the uh, sounds of uh, Steve Woodwind, Steve Winwood, while I uh, get my shit together. Uh, I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. Thanks for making me part of your day. Thanks for making this part of your day. And uh, don't be afraid to stick your hand out and help somebody. Uh, it is truly the best life you can live. And if you need some help, all the contact information on my website finds its way to me. So don't be afraid to stick your hand up. I'm convinced that we can eliminate the vast majority of this suicide if those of us who live near these people every day, who work with them every day, stick our hands out and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. So don't be afraid to do that. 
And if you need help, yell. On this Monday, I'm out. <laughs>